0: hello and welcome to another episode of the long ball football podcast a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in portugal you're listening to myself albert and as always i'm joined by my brother
1: barney how you doing barney how you been i'm very 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 good um i'm saying that many varies because um but it was my birthday on saturday happy birthday thank you very much well thank you for the uh samuelino kit did you wear it <laughs> <laughs> i haven't worn it yet i did i was trying to, i was thinking about it um I might wear it on Christmas Jumper Day next week for work, yeah. because um, it's red. Um, I've got to say that was my second best birthday present because mm. my first best birthday present was Beth got me a bottle of port from mm. um, a vineyard in Pinal outside of Porto that we went to on our hum- honeymoon um, from 1991, the year I was born, so it's is the 30-year-old oh, wow. bottle of port. But we opened it up Saturday, uh, had a bit then, but the problem with, with it being so old, once you've opened it you have to drink it all within 48 hours. <laughs> so I had quite a bit on Saturday, I had quite a bit yesterday when I was writing my notes, and I've had I've got to drink the rest tonight because the, the, the clock's ticking. <laughs> <laughs> so um, cheers. <laughs> nice one. I don't think we've ever done a, a drunk episode before. Be- I mean, it's beautiful stuff. I'm drinking it slow, but um, it's you know, it's also strong stuff. So uh <laughs> mm. um, yeah. but yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. So I, I might be a little bit merry on this episode, but we'll see how we do. How are you? You good? I'm fine, man. Yeah, I'm great. I'm really looking forward to this week. It's been it's been a great week.
0: we should just say though, it's not your birthday is not the only reason we should be celebrating. We should also be celebrating the fact that we've done 50 episodes now, yes, which is quite exciting. So uh, it feels like a timely time, as always, to say a massive thank you to all the listeners who've listened over the last 50 episodes. big thank you to all our guests, everyone who's contributed. It's been a fantastic one. Who would have thought we made it this far, by It's pretty crazy when you look back to when we started. So, yeah, a lovely little landmark, uh, and we really enjoyed. Uh, as I said, uh, a fantastic week this week, massive games coming up. Uh, not least the Lisbon derby, which we are going to dig into in great detail in just a moment. But we've got to start with the news of the week. And we have a little bit of a manager merry-go-round to deal with. There's two managerial changes this week, one of which we saw coming last week, but wasn't quite confirmed by the time we recorded. And another one came a little bit more out of the blue. But first, let's talk about Joao Pedro Souza Barney. He left Bovis after Relatively disappointing start to the season, although not disastrous. It was mutual consent, uh, and Joel Pedro Sousa put out a statement saying he'd received an irrefutable offer from a foreign club strongly rumoured to be in the Middle East. I'm interested how you assess his time at bovis de Barney, because when you look at the results, they're still 10th in the table. You know, that's not too bad, although they are only two points above the relegation zones, and with no wins in any competition in their last eight games, including losing 4-0 to Segunda League side Rio Ab in the Test of Portugal and drawing 0-0 to b in the league. And I think at this point any team that doesn't beat b should pretty much be relegated by default. So after a promising start to the season, it's fair to say they have really not impressed recently.
1: I would say that he was in a a very difficult situation with Borussia. I think they forget the guy's name, but the 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 guy who sort of bought into them last season, um, the owner of it, Lille. I'm not sure he's Gerard Car- Lopez. Gerard Lopez, that's the one. I, I think now he's severed ties with um Lille and is now um with Bordeaux, and that's why we where we saw um Ricardo Mangas and Alf Ellis move to. It seems to be a weird situation that, João Pedro Souza found himself in in terms of what the. The aim of Bovista was what they what they what they were trying to do because last season we really saw a project starting, didn't we, with these um, the vast amount of signing some um, some young exciting players from America and also experienced players like Adorami and Javi Garcia. And then this season, that all seems to have been um, gone to pot. And Bordeaux have picked up, like I mentioned, Ellis and and, and Ricardo Mangas, arguably Bovista's some of their best players from last season. Angel Gomez departed as well and, and when we saw the squad at the start of the season there was no hope for me in in that squad what I would say is that I felt that Joao Pedro Souza was bringing players through who were already there like uh pros at the back although you know he's had a, a bit of a shaky um few games recently but you know players like Cannon Nathan who was there could bring out the best of Gustavo Sauer Kenji Gore um, who, who they signed in the summer you know I did feel that there was some improvement from some of these players, but ultimately, you know, the, the, the squad that he's got, the, the the players he's got to work with, I do feel it's quite limiting in, in in what he's able to to try and do. And you mentioned the irrefutable offer from the the, the, the Far East. I mean, you know, we got to be real. That's going to be ten times the salary he's getting here. That that's that's the reality. That's the reality of it. Now, I do find that very interesting because we've, we've mentioned, we keep mentioning it on this podcast the 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 change in dynamic with. The, the Portuguese league and, and the relationship with the Middle East and how that's affecting the clubs like Boavista, clubs at that end of the table. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think it's interesting the way we're talking about Charles Jesus
0: is almost as if he's been sacked, but he's not, you know, he, he, he voluntarily left because he got a better offer. I do wonder how much longer he would have stuck around as, you know, as we said that, that run of form they on has been pretty dire for a long time. It's just a shame to see him go. I, in the back of my mind, I always wanted to see him succeed. He was so successful in that one season with family cow you just felt like there was something there that he was ready to achieve something and portugal has produced so many great coaches and that go off to big clubs in europe that he kind of hoped he would be another one to go down that route and you know going down the middle east route at this stage of his career is a bit of a sideways step in terms of career progression although as you say not financially so yeah a little bit disappointing the way it ended with him for me i just felt like there was there was so much more to come. And I do agree that he'd got the best out of a lot of those players who we thought were not really up to so much. And there was a brief period earlier on in the season where they looked like they were really gelling and becoming a, a decent side.
1: This is the reality that we've, we've got to start to accept in, in the fact that you know, big players we've seen move there in, you know, Carlos Junior in particular, who we thought, you know, could be playing for Benfica at the, at the way he was performing last season. He's He's gone out there. Daniel Ramos, the Santa Clara manager who got them into the, the Europa Conference League, you know, he's now over there. This this is the, the changing reality of this league. We're not going to see these exciting new up-and-coming managers hang around in a Portuguese league, when they're going to get offered big money elsewhere. And, you know, you can't blame them for that. It might not be best for them, um, you know, in terms of their career long term, but short term, if it is like what's being reported 10 times the amount he's earning, know that's 10 years of your life effectively that you can earn in a year and it's just it's fascinating but also very detrimental we we know that already you know with the potential of the big three all progressing in europe you know how much that's going to affect the league in terms of the financial gains for them compared to the rest of the league now you're adding this factor of the middle east pinching players pinching managers from these exciting teams in the rest of the league table it's just it's just making things harder and harder and and the, the gulf between the big three in, and, and the rest in Portugal is just is just growing and and the Middle East is um, really a big factor in that.
0: Never an easy day in Portuguese football. Let's talk about Petit Barney, the man coming in to replace him. He's played for and managed by Vista in the past, so you can definitely say he's someone who at least knows the club. Now, I have to say, I wasn't so impressed with his time at B. Sad, although, you know, in fairness to him, he was working with a limited squad. Um, one thing that is for sure, Barney, is that, Benfica will be licking their lips at the prospect of picking up six points every season at Beira Vista with Petit in charge.
1: Yeah, Petit is one who I've, I've never really, haven't really got an opinion on. I haven't seen enough of him. I, yeah, looking at the club and the squad and you know what, what what he could potentially do with them there, it will be interesting to see. I, I do think they are quite limited. I think there needs to be a bit of a change. Uh, the, the the main thing for me is that I think. The midfield, the, the defence, there are questions around, but I think if he can bring the best out of you know the attack, Peter Musa, um Inji, Kenji Gori, who we talk about a lot, that's what will be interesting. I don't know if Petty is the manager for that. We'll have to see. Um, but it's a great opportunity for him, at a good club.
0: Definitely a good opportunity. We could be pleasantly surprised. Who knows? Well, let's talk about the other managerial appointment, Barney. And the biggest managerial news of the week, of course, is the fact that Lito Vidigal finds himself back in the Primera Liga A year after leaving Maritimo, he replaces Joao Henriquez with Moura in 17th place on nine points, firmly in the relegation battle. And what an absolute mess Moura find themselves in here. It is so crazy to think that at the end of last season, they were in eighth place. They had an outside chance of qualifying for the Europa Conference League with a young, exciting manager in Vasco Sierra, and a year later, They've just sacked one of the worst Premier League managers for possibly the worst and could well be relegated at the end of the season. I don't know how the people that run that club
1: have managed to do it quite so badly. It is interesting. And, I, you know, I can't get out of my head your comparison to Big Sam last week. Um, He's just a mercenary, then- isn't he? He's just the guy <laughs> that they bring in like when you're trying not to get relegated like you hit the nail on the head I think in your in your discussion about them last week where that you know that's their reality now and mm. they've got themselves in this mess It's their own fault if it pays off we'll we'll have to see i mean I, of course of course i'm rooting for lito <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's great to see him back i mean that that, that picture you um he texted me where he's in the tracksuit with it tucked into his uh, jogging bottoms. So it was just... He means business. He means business. Um, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough for them. I think, uh, you know, it, if, if he gets everyone on board, it'll be all right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm just... I'm excited to see him play. I, I, you know, and I'll tell you what, Albert, you know, Morons. I've never... i still like... They're still one of these teams in this league that I never sort of think, oh, i will watch them this weekend. yeah. I, yeah. You know, now he's there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's box office. Well, The, <laughs> thing, the thing about Lito is this. Right? We, we obviously have a little laugh and a joke about him. And, you know, personally, this might sound like a strange thing to say, but I don't, like you, I don't mind a few characters like him in the league. Um, the phrase that always comes to my mind is, is uh, it takes all sorts to make a world, right? You need different characters. You need different styles. You need different systems to make a league varied and interesting, even if you don't like all of them. So the fact that he's back... Even if he is a very defensive, old-fashioned type of manager, to me he's not a big deal. The thing that surprised me though, Barney, was just how hostile other people's reactions were to this news. I did a little joke on Twitter when this was announced about him being back from the dead. I did not realise how badly I had misread the room in that instance because people were not laughing. There were so many people on Twitter who were like angry that this guy had got another job back in the Premier League. And look, I get it because he is an old-fashioned manager, it's not pretty, it's not forward-thinking football. But like you, in a weird way, I do kind of have this strange appreciation for all different types of football. You know, I love the good football, I love, uh, I love skillful players, attacking football. I love inventive managers, but also I do get a certain amount of joy from a manager like Lito.
1: I think one of my favorite points of last season was when a uh, conscious hour was just so cross with him for <laughs> reason. <laughs> I got a result at Porto and just how, like, after, like, oh, it's an anti football. That was just lovely stuff. Like, seeing Contest yeah. that pissed off. It was, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more of that, hopefully. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, let's move from one end of the footballing spectrum to the other. And there's only one game that we're going to start this week's conversation with. Barney, there are big games, and then there's the Lisbon Derby. And what a derby it was. Fiery, intense and fast-paced from the first minute, one of the biggest games in the Portuguese calendar, and it didn't disappoint. Sporting turned up to Benfica's place and put on a riot of a show. 3-1 it ended to Sporting. You know the scoreline already. Uh, And I think the thing we were all left thinking after this game was that if there was any doubt that Sporting were going to reach the same level that they did last season, then that has all been laid to rest after that fantastic performance we saw against Benfica.
1: I really don't know where to start on this hour. I don't know if we should... Um, I wanted to compare the two managers, but I also like wanted to highlight a lot of sporting players um, that, mm. that have just really impressed me. Perhaps I, I'll start there. I think, firstly, Mateus Nunes. I think, apart from the Morones game in the league, he has started every game for sporting in the league and the Champions League this season. He's got hundred, mm. uh, sorry, 1,006 minutes in the league. And last season, throughout the whole year, he, he, he got 1,257 minutes. So that just shows a difference in in contribution he's making and, and that's all down to the departure of jao mario right and i honestly thought i remember writing my notes for the pre-season show in the summer and i remember writing down this is the departure of jao mario from sporting to benfica going to be the difference between these two teams that season and i, I really i felt so strongly about that i, I rated jao mario so much for what he contributed to sporting last season I'd see glimpses of Nunes, but I wasn't confident at all that he could be the replacement. And first of all, he's a different player, isn't he? And what he brings that Jean-Marie doesn't, you know, the pace, the drive, the extra gear in mm. in their attack. I mean, the assist for Paulini's goal was just a prime example for this, where he, the way he just breaks through that midfield and just hits Benfica's three centre-backs. and I think overall it just allows Sporting to play the way Amorim wants to play. having Nunes in this midfield and I'm just, I'm, I'm such a fan of his and he's really having an impeccable season. You're absolutely
0: right to highlight Mateus Nunes first because he was an absolute colossus in that midfield. And he really was the story that came out of this game because Sporting fans have been singing his praises for a while now. But you're absolutely right. This was the game where he announced himself in that sporting midfield to everybody else. And if you look at the statistics, it was fantastic. He got his goal, he got an assist, he had seven ball recoveries, 72% pass accuracy, and he's been getting better every game this season. It was a fantastic moment for him. Uh, and I think, yeah, as you say, I've got nothing more to add. I think you were very eloquent in your description of him. I think he's just been fantastic this season. And to compare him to the player that we saw last year, that Bit Park player, who kind of, he had contributed those great moments. He scored some important goals, but he was not a starter. And so to see him work his way into this team has been very impressive, especially when you consider, let, let's not forget, they got a, a relatively big money signing in Ugarte and they've got a young kid on the bench that their fans love, uh, Braganza, ready to, to come in. But he's the one who's really cemented his place in that midfield uh, alongside Palina. I did just mention Ogarte and I have to give him some credit as well because he came in for Palina. You know, Palina one of Sporting's most important players and people were so worried about the fact that he was going to be missing. Ogarte as well, immense. His first league start for the club in such a big game and in the first half alone he had nine defensive actions. You compare that to Julian Vigo in the same time period, had three. So you see what a good performance was. And this game, in my opinion, was one from midfield. That engine room in midfield of those two was just fantastic to watch.
1: And you touched on it there, you know, Palinia being out for injury. Colatas as well, out, out with COVID. I really was thinking going into the game, this this is going to affect them. But you mentioned the coming in for Palinia. I highlighted Lewis Neto, who's who stepped up as captain too, and I felt what these two players did, along with other players in Sporting, but ultimately I think these two players they kept Weigel, they kept Rafa quiet. You know Benfica's arguably two, two their two most important players because you know Rafa's been immense for them, and Lewis Neto just absolutely dealt with them, and I couldn't believe it was Ugarte's debut for Sporting in the league because. I'd seen him at Family Yes, he was good then, but I felt like this performance just it just it matched the level of growth he's made in club as well as his performance on the pitch in this game. It was it was incredible.
0: When you compare the defenses well, I think that's so interesting. Because as you say, sporting's talisman in defence, Sebastian Corates was out. And when you look at the back five that started this game, it was Fidal, Neto and Inacio with Poro and Reese's wing backs, I think that's two first choice players out of five in a massive game. So, you know, that was potential, a really big risk at the back. And then you compare that to Benfica, who, to be fair to them, had their own defensive issues with Verissimo being out and, you know, not really having a nailed on right back. But that back five for them included Grimaldo, Vertonghen and Otamendi. Those are three absolutely key players. But you have to say, Benfica were let down on that right-hand side. Like you, I didn't mind Almeida being in there initially at right centre-back. I thought he had... Good experience and being in a back five was going to be covered quite well. But, you know, unfortunately, he was just off the pace in this game. And I'm, I'm really sorry, but Lazaro at, at right-wing back was a completely useless. I thought he was at fault for the first goal. I thought his defending was pretty pathetic for Poligno's goal, which was then, fortunately for him, ruled out for offside. And generally throughout the game, I did not think he looked up to the task. And then you compare that, as you say, to Sporting, who had all those players... Uh, come in uh, and every single one of them uh, were just brilliant at the back. They were so well organised, so solid. Every player defended well and those three players that came in as, as uh, replacements didn't look out of place at all and really did their team proud. I wanted
1: to highlight Mateusz Albert because he's been playing centre-back, now he's been playing left wing-back and like the job he did in this game. I mean, he's fast becoming one of my favourite players in the league, so I've got to be honest. And just seeing the performance he put in, the confidence I would have given, given him to you know to, to, to go to this right wing back having played centre-back for so long. Well, he's a player that, as you say, I was given a lot of
0: confidence. We were very quick to criticise him when he was doing badly, so I think it's only right that we're quick to praise him when he does well, as he did in this game and as he has done a lot of this season. finally we've talked a lot about defence in a game which, when you watch it, was all about attack. It was end-to-end stuff. It was fantastic exhibition of football. And we have to praise the front three of Sporting, who all three of which were lethal. Pedro Gonçalves, his usual brilliant self, very unlucky not to score, I thought, but we will be pleased with his assist. Sarabia, brilliant. He's been a very, little bit under the radar since he joined. And I think, you know, when you join a club on loan, that, let's face it, he probably didn't want to join. He was very much a part of the Nuno Mendes deal. Uh, And so you do wonder whether he's going to come in and have that motivation to perform, but he's really got up to speed now, very quickly. And that goal he took was just unreal technique. The the side-footed volley placed into the top corner, just sublime finishing. And of course, the much ridiculed Paulinho, who really showed what quality he does have. Lovely chip for his second goal. And as I mentioned earlier, unlucky To be marginally offside for another previously well taken finish. So, all three of those uh, sporting players I thought uh, were fantastic up front.
1: The quality that they showed, particularly Sarabia and Pedro Gonzalez, isn't that their passes they were playing, the, the runs, the I, thought, I just thought the standard was so high. And I think sometimes we can underappreciate, you know, if you're watching a lot of games in this league. The quality they were showing, I just felt, you know, I could be watching a top four Premier League tie. You know, they're obviously doing it in the Champions League, I think. And Sarabia is just such a smart bit of business. You know, they identified a player they could get from PSG who is going to just bring this extra bit of quality, but also have the... The drive to 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 still try and get into this team perform, you know, and they're they're turning into a really lethal combination of the front three. I think that I felt at the beginning of the season that was always going to be a rotated attack. I thought, you know, I thought Cabral was going to we we're going to see more of, uh, you know, Santos obviously seems to be moving out, but they're nailing on their positions, Sarabia and Pedro Gonzalez, and um, yeah, they're just looking they're looking at it absolutely lethal.
0: If we're going to continue the theme of kind of comparing supporting Benfica here, Barney. To be fair to Benfica, going forward, I didn't think they were awful. They hit the post, they hit the crossbar, they had a goal ruled out by VAR, and they did create chances. So I really don't have that many issues going forward, but I'll just go back to the fact that they were so easily dominated in midfield. And you know, on a night when they should have been taking advantage of their opponent's defensive issues, they themselves struggled too much with their own. And I think that's ultimately... Uh, what cost him quite an embarrassing night in the end. One last question for me, Parnie. George Jesus. what would you do? Because I think a lot of people are talking now about his time being up at Benfica. A lot of Benfica fans are unhappy with his time there, both this season and last season. Do you think he should stay? Do you think that there's improvement that can be made under him because they are clearly, just as you say, lacking that little something? Or do you think this whole experiment of trying to, to resurrect the old days has, has kind of gone far enough.
1: I think we're in a, a really interesting point in the season with Benfica. They've obviously got their Champions League game, which um, get them progressing is out of their hands. They need by buy minute to do them a favour. And then they've got to play Porto twice as well in the, in the rest of December. So, you know, these are really tough games. It wouldn't surprise me if, you know, he gets to the end of it and if they've had a few bad results, the decision is to, to, to change manager then. To be honest, I've never been a fan of him, but... I also think it's it's easy to be too harsh. I it's easy to forget how how good they looked at the the, the start of the season.
0: I agree, and with, I think I believe his contract is is up at the end of the season, so I don't think there's any urgency to move him on. I would still keep him in there, see how the Champions League goes, and see just to give him that last chance to see if he can, as we mentioned, unlock that extra level that that we know they have. Well, like, before we move on, we spent a good chunk of last week talking about a game which brought embarrassment of Portuguese football to an international audience. But with this game, I was at home in London watching this game live on BT Sport, the UK's biggest sports broadcaster, and I could not have been more pleased that an international audience was tuning in for a Premier League game that showed the absolute best of what this league has to offer. Just a fantastic game of football from start to finish. Well, Let's talk about Porto, Barney. Uh, the Porto train steams on another impressive win this weekend, beating Porto Menens 3-0 in the Algarve. Let's not forget that this was a Porto Menens team flying high after their 3-0 battering of Family Cow last week. So no mean feat, but Porto, I thought, were very impressive, very dominant and made light work of another potentially tricky game
1: for them. First of all, I think um, the kit clash was absolutely disgusting. I couldn't deal with these two <laughs> kits, man. Surely Porto have got another kit they could have worn later. Like, it was just like, oh. It was a really bizarre
0: decision to let Porto men's play in white and black and then Porto to play in
1: very pale pink and black. It
0: was, pen- just, pen- <laughs> it was just a ridiculous decision.
1: And black shorts as well. And then it's yeah. just like, oh, um, no, it wasn't great. Um, I actually want to start with uh, Diego Costa-Albert because that. In the highlights, I think the, the first highlight of this game is a, an attack by Porto Ends, where Fabrizio is through, and uh, you know Diogo Costa, Diogo Costa makes a, a, a really great save. What's interesting is that you know Marshallson is back from injury now. Diogo Costa is keeping his place, and I think I wanted to compare the two and see why that decision has been made, because M- Marchison was absolutely fantastic for me last season, one of the, probably the best goalkeeper in the league. So this time last season, Marshallson had racked up the same amount of clean sheets as Diogo Costa after 13 games. They both had five clean sheets. And marshall actually has more clean sheets in the Champions League with he got five in the group stages last season. And currently Diego Costa only has two of one game left to pay. So the only difference I could find between these two keepers is that overly favours Costa is his passing, right? And he, he has a, a much better passing accuracy than and He plays more passes than Marcelin. And this goes hand in hand, I feel, with the evolution we've seen of this Porto team this season. And... This season, they're averaging 65.9% possession compared to 57.9% last season. And so I, I think that's coming with players coming through, like who who is incredible in this game, Jao Mario, Evan Nilsson as well, who I think if you compare to Morega, who would prefer the ball played up, hoofed up to him, Evan Nilsson is a player who much prefers it to his feet. And I think that's sort of the, the change you have seen in this team. So I think Diogo Costa seems to be the guy who's going to keep his number one spot, and I, I do, I don't see much of him coming back in, and I think um, that's all credit to Diego Costa, who's a, he's twenty two years old. It's easy to forget that he's he's a really exciting young Portuguese keeper.
0: Yeah, but he's been fantastic. He's impressed me so much, and I'm delighted that he's getting the minutes that he he deserves at Porto. Um, you mentioned Vitinho, Barney. How great was it to see him starting after so many people called for it, and he completely repaid his start with an undeniable. Man of the match performance. The boy was just running the show from start to finish. A really well-taken goal. Found himself in a tight spot in the box. Wriggled into space. Oh, sort of fired it low and hard lovely. into the net. Lovely goal. His stats are outstanding. 88% pass accuracy. And that's from 74 passes. Seven out of nine long balls successful. Two successful dribbles out to, And the goal to top it all off. Fantastic performance.
1: I really feel if you compare his pass accuracy in the league to the, the top, top performers... It doesn't do him justice because the number of passes this boy is making compares to mm. the rest of them. It's ridiculous. Every time he plays, he's got the highest pass. Like he's got the highest amount of passes, and he's got the highest amount of touches by a mile. Like it's mm. just ridiculous. But what I think is really interesting, Albert, I don't, I hadn't really appreciated it or realized it until this game. Is that you know we saw Sergio Oliveira last week and he did well. There seems to be when you look at the the games they have played, certain games that Conte is trusting Vecino. And certain games he's trusting Sergio. So so far, Vicino has not featured in their first three games in the league of the season. And then he didn't start the sporting game in the league, and he hasn't started a single game in the Champions League. What is up with that? Like, is it simply conscious how he's trusting Sergio Oliviero for the big games? We are seeing Vitinho play incredibly well. I also would say that when T- is playing Porto are playing their best, in, in my opinion. But why aren't we seeing him in the Champions League? Why aren't we seeing him in the big game? Does that need to change? Well, this is this is why I'm not a manager, Bonnie. Because to be
0: totally honest, i I couldn't I couldn't make the call because I think there's positives and negatives to both. I do think that playing Sergio Oliveira in big games is a smart call because he's a proven performer in big games. We saw that countless times in the Champions League last year, so I think it is smart to play him, but. Fettina as well. I mean, he needs that chance to show that he can do it against the big teams too, because we know the ability he's got. And I think he's just waiting for that game where he's given the chance on a big stage and he shows to the world what we all know that he is capable of. I mean, the cynical part of me thinks that maybe Oconceau is trying to keep him at the limelight for long enough to mean, you know, maybe he doesn't get picked up in January. I'm sure that's not the case. But like I said, this kid has got so much potential, so much talent that I think it's only a matter of time before he becomes one of the key players in this in this Porto side. He probably deserves to be doing it now, but I think Sergio will. You know what he's like. He will take his time, and, and you know. And maybe that's for the best. Maybe that's good man management. That that we don't understand. We're not on the training ground with these players. We just see them on the pitch. So maybe maybe that's right for him. Maybe that's right for his personality. We talked about Sporting having a good season, Barney, uh, and how impressive they look. We have to be fair to Porto and say. They're currently the ones top of the table. They've got exactly the same record as Sporting. They've won exactly the same amount of games. They're also unbeaten in the league this year. And they've done it, scoring 11 more goals. That's almost an extra goal per game this season. So it's only fair to say that they are absolutely flying this season. And it was another three goals in this one. Obviously, Routinho got his goal. Um, Luis Diaz got a very fortunate goal, and uh, Otavio picked up the third. So familiar faces that we're seeing, goal, seeing scoring goals. We're seeing this Porto team as a
1: relatively well-oiled machine at the moment,
0: uh, and it's all going according to plan as things stand.
1: I think the only interesting thing is that we're not seeing the Taremi's not getting the numbers that we he was getting last season. The goals are seem to be sharing around a lot more. Though Lewis Diaz obviously has his, his ten. Um, I also read on Albert Cardoza had another good game at the back, looking like a really smart signing now. I think I did question them letting them late let go out on loan and, and bringing him in, but um, it, you know he's, he's certainly proving if that was wrong. Um, I wanted to look at it from the Porto lens point of view as well, Albert. And I know it's ifs, buts and maybes, but what I really was thinking in this game was, I wonder how Nakajima being in the team would have changed it because I know he's on loan from Porto and that's why he wasn't going to play. But we also saw Porto Mens revert to this 5-2-3 formation, which they played against Benfica where they got that um, famous win now. Mm. Although, you know, I think we were both agreement in that game that they were, they were dominated by Benfica and did well, you know, sort of fortunate to get that win. I wonder if they had kept with the four, two, three, one formation and maybe brought in Lucas Fernandez or or Lukinas into that number 10 role to replace, replace Nakajima. If they would have fared better. And it it goes back to a question. I think they discussed on the tactical melon podcast, you know, which was, should teams change tactics for the big teams or should they stick with a mm. style and a playing style? I don't know if you remember. And uh, and uh, on a complete agreement with them, I really think you need to stick to your game plan, stick to your style, no matter who you're playing. And I, I honestly believe, I think, uh, you know, having seen the, the way they played last week, I really think they would have fared better in this game if they had stuck with it.
0: Yeah, I think it's a fair point. And I think they will be disappointed that they didn't impose themselves on the game a bit more. I mean, four shots compared to Porto's eleven. Is, is, is quite low 65% pass accuracy is pretty poor you know you're not really helping yourself uh, in that situation so yeah definitely they could have imposed themselves on the game a bit more possibly not the right tactics um, but they're having a good season so I'll, I'm, I'm willing to let them off against you know the team at the top of the table and arguably the best team in the league this season so far.
1: I just thought what was glaringly obvious and sort of like um, backs at the point I was making there is that, you know, when, when Angulo or Burmorto would get the ball up the field, they just had so few options and they would just lose possession because there was no one in the middle. I will just go back to what I said at the beginning, which is, as you say, Porto men have done very
0: well recently and this was a potentially tricky game for Porto. So for me, I think the point that's worth reiterating is that Porto made a potentially tough game look very easy. And I think that's all credit to them. Well, look, let's move on. Barney to another game and onto one of the most standout results of the week for me, Gilles Vicente for family nil And I have to give you a lot of credit, Barney. Last week, you gave an impassioned plea for people to watch Gilles Vicente play. We've been singing their praises all season. They were my dark horses to watch out for before the season even began. And they've been quietly playing some fantastic football, culminating in what I believe is their best performance of the season so far. This weekend, beating Fran 4-0. And for me, this game is all about three key players. Fran Navarro, Kanya Fujimoto, and of course, Samuel Lino.
1: I'll start with Fran Navarro, because... I've spoken about the other two a lot. Fran, he's got nine goals for the season now. You know, Luis, Luis Diaz has been ten. The thing I really I love about watching him play, particularly in this Gil Vicente Gil, team, is his movement and the way he finds space. For the first goal, was it was absolutely immaculate. The way he just slowed his run down. He was looking away, looking around, seeing what defenders are around him. And I felt this was a theme for the whole game for Cow. I just felt they had no clue. Where any of the Gil Vicente players were, in terms of like, I just felt they couldn't track them the, the way they just bombed forward. And I feel like he's a really intelligent striker. I feel like that said a lot and almost a cliche, but I just love the way this guy can work with the team. I feel like he knows when a player's got the ball out wide be it Fujimoto, be it Mario be it Samuelino he knows what run to make when it, you know, and I feel like you really see, I just, I love watching him play. Obviously he's Spanish. So of course we're going to compare him to Mario Gonzalez of last season. I think he could be better. I think, you know, he's obviously got a lot more age. He's a lot younger. He's just looking fantastic. Yeah.
0: The stat that I saw this week that I really enjoyed was the fact that he's now only three goals away from breaking Gilles Vicente's record for the most most goals scored in the top flight in a single season. He's on nine goals and the record is 12. So not only does it look like he's going to smash that record, but he's going to greatly surpass it. Like you, Barney, I just think he's a lethal poacher. You won't see him, you know, running past five players or or scoring 30-yard screamers, but he knows where the goal is and he knows exactly where to be at the right time to put the ball in the back of the net. And I think you saw that in both his goals. One, a very good header, uh, and another, a tap-in, fair enough, but he was in exactly the the right place at exactly the right time to score that second goal. So he's scoring, as you said, the type of goals that you need to be scoring uh, as a striker. So that's lovely to see. I want to talk about Fujimoto as well, Barney. We've mentioned him a few times. um, And in this game, he earned himself the Man of the Match award for his goal uh, and performance, which in itself was fantastic. His goal was brilliant. It was a lovely left-footed lob over the keeper and interestingly, very reminiscent of Paulinho's goal against Benfica. But of course, Fujimotos was he's a weaker foot. He's just such an exciting player at the moment. Uh, he plays as a central midfielder, but I love the way he moves the ball forward, either through his passing or if he's carrying the ball forward himself. He's so positive and he's such a key player in making things happen for the Shield Vicente team, and this game was just a real showcase uh, of his abilities, and he absolutely deserved the man of the match award for me.
1: I just, I just love how he, you know, he pops up absolutely everywhere. Uh, that that's his thing. That this guy's energy is ridiculous. Like. Um, I I can't I can't pin down what you know I say he's a midfielder but I cannot pin down a position for him because he he is absolutely everywhere and you mentioned his left you know his weak foot finish I think he's he's very much both footed and it just makes me so happy I think you described it earlier on in the season where he just you know who's your favourite player and he just makes me so happy it's <laughs> infectious is the the way he plays I know that you mentioned Samuelino as well I, I felt like I've got, I've said a lot about him recently I don't know if you want to say any more than than, than I've said well I'll just say I
0: think he was unlucky not to score. You know, yeah. he was uh, he, he, his performance deserved a goal. He was it was interesting on he was goal points MVP, uh, seven shots, four on target, one assist, three key passes. Uh, yeah, he, he looks fantastic. He was he was just
1: another one that that definitely deserves a mention. I wanted to um, talk about Pedrino, Albert in midfield, who are, he's the guy I always say he, he came from Latvia last, last season. <laughs> but, but like, the, the, there's more to this player, and, and I think he's really started to show. It's obviously about. I think he's 28 years old. He's he's a, he's a real season pro. and it, you know, He came through um, SC Fromund Academy in, in Passos Ferrer. They're, they're in the fourth tier currently. But he also played for Passos Ferrer for four years. He was even club captain in his last season before moving to Riga and Latvia. The only other players in the league who have played as many games as he has and are averaging more key passes per game are Luis Diaz, Mediterimi, and Tunes and you know, that, that That's showing the quality this guy is bringing to this midfield. And I think it... Simply the fact that he came from Latvia, I felt like was um, an indication of this guy's quality. But I don't think that's I don't think that's right. I think this guy is you know uh, he, he certainly deserves a bit more respect for me. This guy is a he's a, he's a, he's a proper pro, and um, a, a hell of a midfielder. And it's just a prime example of you know the shrewd business skills that they have, have have made recently. And you know in him, you, I include Maria in that uh, who they got on loan from Braga, who's he's been excellent on the wing, and Hackman as well at right back who they got from uh, Portsmouth Lens. Was absolutely excellent in this game. Like mm. it really, really, really shone for me in that right, um, right back position. And finally, um, Georgi um, Abujjanania, who who came in for Viza Cavallo, who was who really impressed me last game. You know, this guy was a free transfer from the Spanish second tier. Ninety percent pass actually ticking things over while Fujimoto and Pedrini ran right. just like honestly, they are they're absolutely one of my favourite teams to watch. this moment they're, they're in such a good moment, and um, I just absolutely love
0: them. I think if Shield Vicente team and listen to this, the three players that we haven't mentioned are going to be gutted that they didn't get a mention because we've just run through most of the team now. (laughs) 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 So I think people are getting the impression uh, that we're a fan of the Shield Vicente side. Uh, And I think rightfully so, because as you say, they've been performing uh, fantastically well. I think we have to address the elephant in the room though, Barney, uh, and that is family cow. And it's been a shocking couple of weeks for them. They've now conceded seven goals in two games. And let's not forget, this is not against top teams. This is against Porto and Gil Vicente. Last week, it was a case of them creating chances but not scoring. And this week, they were just completely dominated. They only had one shot on target all game. They had half as many shots as Gil Vicente. Forty-four percent possession, and they were firmly beaten by the better team.
1: Last week, I wrote down a point which I didn't bring to the table, which was that I was actually um, going to criticise Panetra quite a lot as centre-back. In hindsight, no, I think that's unfair. I think that, that, that you know it's easy to highlight him because he's been so uh, so impressive recently. But what I think a fair thing to say is that Iber Vieira has got his tactics so wrong for this, for these last two games. The, the game of Gil Vicente-Morrens, but it drew 2-2, and you saw... The way that they were playing in that moment, you've sent. But then midfielders bombing on the amount of players they would throw forward, the 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 pace they would try to get forward as well. It was all there to to see. It was all there to, to to prepare for. They weren't prepared for this at all. Pickle and Pepe in midfield, playing above the in front of the back four, which has seemed to work quite well in previous games, just were caught out so many times. If if the fullbacks were bombing on. Once again, they would get caught on the brakes so easily. It was just, it was so bad. And it goes back again to this, this underlying issue, which is at Family Cow, which they have never got their defense right. It seems like a long, long time
0: ago now that we were talking about Family Cow blitzing past Boavista 5 2, talking about Simon Banza firing on all cylinders, talking about Penetra looking like a future star at the back. Now they cannot get a shot on target for love nor money. They are shipping goals for fun and they badly, badly need to arrest this downward spiral in form because it has been dramatic. And very soon you worry that it could be too late. Well, we will leave it there for family cow, but I do just want to end on the slightly bizarre scenes that we saw at the end, Barney, Evo Vieira, taking his team out after the game to face the family of Cal fans and essentially stand there while they took a bit of abuse uh, from the Ultras. I'm not sure what you made of that. I think it was meant well, but I have to say personally, I didn't love it. I didn't
1: think it was a great idea unless it's going to be a wake-up call for his players and, the, and their realization that they need to butt their ideas up then then it's a good bit of it's a good move but uh, uh you know that there are some passionate fans in that crowd when you saw the video mm. like you know i'm not sure i, I might have shielded my players and that I, who knows i he could be the next manager to look at he could be he could be moved on soon because something's something's not right there i feel like you know Oh, I feel like a broken record of Family Cow sometimes, but you know, the- it's the second season
0: curse of Family Cow bunnies. Rob Pedro Souza, season one, absolutely mm-hmm. smashes it. Season two, completely drops off a cliff. Evo Vieira performs the great escape in his first season, has Family Cow looking like well beaters. Second season, can't match what he did before. So, as you say, we'll have to see how Evo Vieira does and if you can turn around the form of that Family Cow side. Well, let's do. Another game in-depth, Barney, before we round up, let's talk about Braga versus Estoril. Uh, fifth versus sixth, this game was. So really important game for the season. Estoril, of course, one of the revelations of this year and Braga looking to build on some recent good form. So it was all set up for a fantastic game. Uh, but it was Braga that came out on top. Two nil winners with two goals from Ricardo Water. The thing that impressed me about Braga, Barney, was that It was two goals of such high quality, great team goals, great passing, great build-up. And it was the Braga that we've seen before, you know, the Braga who, when they're playing their best attacking football, are capable of dismantling teams like this with that intricate passing and great build-up play.
1: This isn't the best stat I've worked out on here before, but I'll I'll go with it anyway, because they've only played two league games since they lost 6-1 to Benfica. But before that game, they were averaging 1.5 goals a game in the league. Uh, and then these last two, they're now double that. So they're averaging three goals a game. And, and also, uh, the reason I brought it up as well is because, you know, we've got to remember that one that 6-0 against Santa Clara and the Tassa to Portugal as well. I felt very down on Braga in that moment when they lost so heavily to Benfica. But I think they're starting to turn it around. And they they can, they can be so good at, uh, like you mentioned, playing these beautiful passing moves. I wanted to talk about, obviously, I wanted to talk about Ricardo Horta. Um because he, he was immense in this game. I think he's now Braga's third all-time leading goalscorer. He's such an interesting player because he's 27 years old. He had that offer from Atlanta in America in the summer, which he turned down. I just don't know what's next for him. So I guess the question I had for you, I was uh, who would you take him over from the from the big three? Is that his step or, or should he be looking at elsewhere in the in the in the world?
0: Well, I'm not sure I moved to a big three club would necessarily be the best thing for him. I'm not sure where I could see him fitting in. Benfica, he might fit in quite nicely on the wing. Maybe, he, you know, I think he's probably better than than Everton Ceballinho, although I think Everton still got a lot to offer. But there's not loads of places where where he, where he can go. I think Braga is a good place for him if they can keep playing in the Europa League. Uh, And I just think definitely he should be targeting that Salazar call-up because he definitely deserves it. I think, you know, he's been playing at a high level for Braga for such a long long time. Anyone that watches this guy play knows that he's got the talent to play at the national team level. I'm not saying he's going to be a starter every single game at the next World Cup, but I think definitely he deserves to be in the squad for some of those games uh, when he's on form because he's a fantastic player. He almost got a hat-trick. He missed the penalty, which was unfortunate. Uh, in this game, uh, but he was also fantastic, not just in his goal scoring, but in all aspects of his game. 92% pass accuracy is fantastic. He got four out of five shots on target. He deserved his match performance. And I think he continues to prove why he's one of this division's top players and underrated uh, by so many people.
1: And I, I guess that's why he's so important to Braga because, you know, he's that person that makes that gap between them and the big three that little bit smaller. I think what's interesting about Estoril, Albert, because Braga are one point ahead of them but before this game and now they're, they're obviously four. Mm. Estoril have got a run of one loss and four draws now in the league. So I don't know if their run of form is levelling off and they're, they're starting to show their real level.
0: Well, it is a very interesting question, Barney. They've not won in the league since the 24th of October. You know that is quite some time. And, uh, and to be fair, this was their only loss in that same time period. So it's been a lot of draws. They did well to start the season. And I, I think even in this performance, they were pretty good. So the 2-0 the scoreline, which could have been three with the penalty, probably was a bit hefty because it's not like they were lacking behind in the stats. They had very similar amount of shots, very similar amount of shots on target, very similar possession. So, you know, there were opportunities for them there. But Let's be realistic, you see it a lot with teams like Estoril when when they kind of do one at the beginning of the season. At a certain point, the kind of slightly less quality in squad depth will catch up with them, one or two injuries here or there's going to hinder their progress. So I still think there's an opportunity for them to have a great season. But I think what we saw from Braga in this performance was them really asserting their dominance uh, in the league, saying we're the experienced team, we're the ones with the quality players and we're the ones who are going to snatch that top four spot if it's up for grabs. Well, look, we're nearly running out of time. So we're just quickly going to mention two last important results from the weekend. The first being Santa Clara, who beat Aruka 2-1 to earn only their second win of their season. And their first under new manager, Nuno Campos, two goals from Crozan, And that is a vital three points. For them, that puts them up to 16th. If you want to learn more about that game, I recommend Jamie Farr's figure of the week column on Portugal.net, which you can check out on either his page or our page uh, on Twitter. And of course, Vitoria, who came back, came from behind to beat Passos de Ferreira 2-1 and continue the good form that they've been on. Marcus Edwards had a hand in both of their goals for everyone keeping track of his season uh, and he continues to be uh, a standout performer for them. And that win puts them up to 7th place uh, and only two points off 5th. So, Coming up to Christmas, the Premier League table shaping up very nicely. Uh, The top of the table is starting to get quite exciting. Well, look, it's that time of the show. It's game of the week time, where we give you some recommendations of games to watch, and of course, it is a massive week in Europe for not one, not two, but three Portuguese clubs in Europe. Of course, the Champions League happening on Tuesday and Wednesday. Barney Porto in action. On Tuesday, they're playing Atletico Madrid, a game that they really, really want to win. If they win, they go through. If they draw, then they're relying on Liverpool. They're getting a result over Milan. But I have to say, they drew their first leg against Atletico 0-0. and I thought they were really unlucky not to win that game. So I would be going into this game confident if I were the, if I were them at home in the drag out, this is a great opportunity to get a, to get a good result on their own terms.
1: Yeah, I absolutely think they can do it and I think they deserve, um, they deserve to get a result from the script. They've played really well in, in, in some games and what was, I thought, we all thought was the, the hardest group out of uh, all the Portuguese teams this season.
0: Yeah, quite possibly and, and you know, the fact that they even got in with a shout On the last game is a fantastic achievement for them, and of course Wednesday, Barney Benfica could make it three Portuguese teams into the qualification round. Now their game is at home against Dynamo Kiev. Barring a big shock, we do expect them to win that game. But of course they're kind of hoping that Barcelona don't get a result against Bayern Munich on paper. This should all go
1: according to plan. Things rarely go how you expect them to on paper. I just think about that performance against Barcelona, which I think was absolutely phenomenal. And also, I think, you know, the best we've seen Benfica, that, that's that's the Benfica I want to see. And um, yeah, so I, I hope they get through and I hope because there are more of
0: them. A little bit of an embarrassment against Sporting in the Week. So we definitely hope they can bounce back from that. And I'm sure everyone will be completing the European football hat-trick on Tuesday, Wednesday and rounding things off nicely. On Thursday, as Braga take on Severna Cervesda in their last group game of the Europa League, what's at stake for Braga? Well, a win would put them on the top of the table. And it's very important because if they draw uh, and Michelin get a win, then Michelin will overtake them. So a win is vitally important. But again, they are at home. So they've got the home advantage uh, and we've seen them come off this game against Estoril absolutely flying so hopefully they will take that form into this game and bring it home and make it four Portuguese teams in the knockouts of European football that would be fantastic
1: yeah I expect them to and they, they've been I think it's really they just quietly go out their business in the Europa, Europa League don't they? they they always get get the job done I'd love to see them go far in this competition a bit further than last year
0: let's hope that this time next week Barney we're talking about great success for Portuguese clubs four teams in Europe and it could definitely happen and we're backing all those teams to get the results they need well let's talk about the premier Liga this upcoming weekend uh, and as is traditional on this show we're both going to pick at least one game that we recommend you settling down to watch this weekend Barney do you want to go first what's your choice
1: first of all if people aren't watching Gil Vicente right now like after after two weeks of uh, recommending them, they've surely got to do it uh, this weekend they're playing <laughs> Friday night what else are you going to do Friday night? Albert, for me, there's an obvious one. But my outsider, Maritimo Santa Clara, 3.30 Saturday. Oh, you what, know, hipster choice, Barney? He's <laughs> a hipster choice. But, you know, Santa Clara, I feel like they're starting to click. I, I, though they won at the weekend, it still wasn't a perfect performance. And I think Maritimo on the Ciabra. it's just a, it's a hipster choice. It's a, it's a long ball football choice, but that, that, that's the one I'm going for.
0: Well, the obvious choice, Barney, that we have to recommend, of course, is Porto versus Braga 8.30pm yeah, yeah. on Sunday. And again, we hope that that one will be on UK TV. So we'll give a tweet out if uh, that is the case. If I'm going to go for a history choice, Barney, I'm going to go for 3.30pm on the same day. And we're going to bring the podcast full circle because you can watch Lito Vidigal's first game in charge at home against Porto Menens. Porto Menens, they're bruised. They're there for the taking and Lito Vidigal is ready to give them the sucker punch.
1: (laughs) Oh, but you said it last week.
0: It's it's the return of the king. It's the return (laughs) of the king. (laughs) Well, on that note, I think it's just about time for me and Barney to leave it there. I want to say thank you very much to everyone again for listening and making 50 episodes of this podcast possible without you there would not be any podcast so thank you so much for your support if you've enjoyed listening you can leave us a little review on apple Podcasts. you can share the podcast with a friend that you think might enjoy it Uh, and you can get in contact with the show you can find us on twitter at longball football we always enjoy getting involved in you guys conversations and and reading your comments and stuff like that well look that's about it we'll leave it there Say so, thank you very much for listening, and see you next week. Okay, next week.